You're about to hear my regular podcast with Dustin Reed. We talk about the upcoming FOMC meeting, inflation and all the risks that the market have anticipated uh, with inflation, and the European Central Bank meeting. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKenzie Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnur, and I'm delighted to have Dustin Reed back for our bi-weekly conversation. Welcome back, Dustin. Thanks very much for having me, Matt. During our last podcast, we spent a, a little bit of time talking about the upcoming uh, June uh, FOMC meeting uh, with the Fed uh, uh, coming together. Uh, seems like a fairly important meeting where there's uh, lots to be discussed. Uh, what's your take on it and what can we expect to come out of that meeting? Yeah, for sure. The, uh, yeah, the Fed meeting, FOMC meeting on June uh, 15th and 16th with the decision on the 16th is definitely shaping up to be a a key meeting here, I think, in the in the cycle um, and in the and in the reopening part of the uh, um, economy. I think um, you know just and not to not to rearview mirror it too too much, but you know, last time we talked a little bit about the change in Fed tone, right? From four or five different Fed speakers, and um, you know that was kind of coming after the uh, the the meeting the, the previous meeting, which was not a forecast meeting. But previous to that, four or five uh, folks coming out of uh, you know the woodwork and talking about the the need to at least have the beginnings of a discussion around an exit uh, on the taper strategy. There really only had been one uh, Fed member, uh, Kaplan from from Dallas, who had been advocating, and now that number is probably up around five or six, depending on how on how you look at it. So you kind of go into the Fed meeting here on the sixteenth, and uh, you know, in my opinion, I think Powell has to at least echo some of that. You know, Powell's job, the Fed Chair Powell's job is, I mean, obviously he has an opinion and, and he should, but as the chair of the committee, he is supposed to reflect the the mean or the median, uh, you know, tone or outlook of the committee. And that that is his job as chair, particularly on FOMC decision dates. And so when he has both of his vice chairs um, who have essentially said that, you know, the discussion needs to start happening. It would be odd for me if Powell did not at least acknowledge that or echo that in some, in some fashion. Now there are lots of um, lots of facets to the, the meeting itself, as I'm sure everybody knows, obviously the, the big statement at 2 PM Eastern is, you know, kind of the, the pinnacle of it all to be fair. Um, but this is a forecast meeting, so there's going to be, you know, an update on the on the, uh, the so-called dot plots, the economic outlook. Um, there's also the statement that accompanies uh, Powell's press conference, which is different than the statement at 2 p.m. It's a little less formal, um, and although it should essentially be one for one in terms of tone and outlook, you know, there's always little things in there to kind of keep an eye out for, and of course, the press conference itself. The press conference will be very interesting. I mean, there's, you know, it's almost guaranteed that he's going to be asked uh, a fair bit around around the taper story. Um, so again, I think that it's likely that Powell's going to um, try and re reflect the mood of the committee. 
the committee's tone has clearly shifted since the last meeting and absolutely shifted since uh, the last forecast meeting in March. And uh, you know, it would be it would be odd for for Powell to to not do that. And I think that's you know, it's part of the evolution here. I, I, maybe three months ago, four months ago, um, I, I was thinking that there might be some big epiphany moment where the Fed might say, "Okay, here we go, everybody," and uh, uh, and have a bit of a, a bit of a taper tantrum, so to speak, a la 2013. But I think this Fed is very much of the mindset to try and avoid that that taper tantrum uh, altogether. And so we're looking for kind of incremental turns. It's almost like turning uh, an oil tanker. It takes, it takes a while um, and you got to prepare, you know, way ahead. And, um, you know, and then of course, just on the data side coming into this as well, um, obviously the inflation story is, is, is very important and we've talked about it a decent amount. Um, and the labor side is also relatively important. Um, the last employment report uh, this past Friday in the U.S. was wasn't um, as big a miss as the previous, but it was uh, but it was a bit of a miss, and we're still not seeing people come into the labor force. And I think that the Fed, we'll see what we get for the updates for um, for how the Fed's thinking for the rest of the year for unemployment. But on the kind of the current trajectory um, for the last three or four months, the Fed's probably not going to make its 4.2 percent uh, unemployment goal by the end of 21. Um, or I shouldn't say maybe, maybe target is a better term than goal, um, and you know that that's part of the that's part of the calculus I think for the Fed, and I think that you know if we see a slightly slower uh, labor market in the U.S. for the summer, um, it definitely puts what I would say August and September, uh, Jackson Hole in August and the September FOMC meeting, um, you know, very much in play. I don't think we're going to see this big epiphany moment happen here in uh, in in June. I think more likely Powell is going to match uh, his vice chairs and maybe incrementally, um, you know, move the ball and, and the conversation along. Um, so I don't, you know, anything can happen, and it is a big meeting, and there's a lot of stuff to get through during that hour and a half or so. Um, Clearly, the bias is towards, I would say, you know, from our perspective on the fixed income side, uh, higher rates, and I would say um, a stronger dollar as well, um, kind of going into the meeting and, and potentially coming out of the meeting. And that's how we are um, we are positioned, particularly particularly on the rate side. But I'm not expecting a huge amount of, uh, of volatility. This Fed definitely wants to avoid uh, another taper tantrum uh, from 2013, and uh, will will do, and I think has done uh, everything it can to, to avoid that upset, um, that upset for markets. So that's essentially what we're, we're thinking and how we're positioned uh, across portfolios heading into uh, uh, the June FOMC. Great. That sounds like a little bit of a change uh, from maybe a month ago where you were expecting uh, Jackson Hole to be more the event where they start talking about tapering. Clearly, now you're thinking that uh, a little bit more hawkish um, that reflects the FOMC committee. Uh, I'm curious, you mentioned incremental. What does that mean from like a dot plot perspective? You expect a few more dots uh, being raised uh, earlier on, or, or do you think the median dot changes uh, at this meeting? So I think it's very likely that the uh, the so-called median dot for 2023 for Fed funds outlook will probably get over the line. I think we, I think they were two dots short at the last 
uh, at the last uh, forecast meeting in March. Uh, and I think they'll have it because I, I just think the economic recovery looks significantly more uh, constructive now than it did three months ago. And um, you can probably find a couple other people. I also think that you'll probably, I believe there were four, four uh, members looking for potential liftoff in 2022 at the last forecast meeting in March. I think those will probably get added to as well. I don't think that's necessarily a surprise. I think in many ways that's that's baked in. Um, obviously, you can have surprises, but I, you know, if we get the median dot to over the line, and you know, there is an official liftoff now in 23, at least from a forecast perspective, um, I don't think it's necessarily that that scary. I think I think, I think the central tendency economic outlook forecasts are more interesting. Uh, I may have mentioned it here uh, uh, once or twice. We definitely talk about it internally. The idea of, um, you know, what does the Fed, for a while, the Fed's thought that uh, inflation, core PCE inflation for this year, 21, would be higher than 2022. And I'm interested to see what that spread is, so to speak, uh, coming out of this meeting. You know, is that going to flatten a little bit? I, are, the, are the forecasts going to be a little bit closer? And is that, uh, you know, a lower 21 and a higher 22 or... Uh, and, and, you know, an, an unchanged 21 and a higher 22 and what that trajectory looks like. Because I think that's I think that's important. Obviously, the, uh, the unemployment rate side is um, is important as well. But I will say that this Fed, uh, particularly the last three or four months, has really put a lot of emphasis on the idea of um, uh, outlook, uh, uh, achievable outlook guidance. They basically the forecast can be whatever you want, um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that that is going to be set in stone. And that means, you know, that that's therefore what the Fed is going to do. The, the, the Fed wants to see um, uh, actual um, actual uh, outcome-based uh, achievement, I'd say both in the labor market and on the inflation side, you know, which is obviously its, its dual mandate. Um, so even if uh, you know, we do see the inflation numbers move a bit you know, on the central tendency side. We need to see these numbers achieved, or at least get very, very close to achieving them with a high degree of confidence. And, and I would say the same thing on the um, on the labor market side uh, as well. So it'll be um, there'll be quite a lot of uh, quite a lot of interesting uh, takeaways, I think, from the meeting, whether it's the statement, the press conference, um, you know, the dots, the forecasts. Um, Gonna be a lot to a lot to digest and kind of figure out what's next. But yeah, I do think that um, you know, again, Powell Powell probably needs to match his vice chairs. It would be it right. would be strange without. But at the same time, uh, I think I don't think the Fed's going to be in a position here um, because there's so much transitory noise on the inflation side and the last couple of employment reports. Employment reports, while not terrible, haven't def- haven't been close to the you know, million uh, per month that uh, I think Powell was expecting a number of months ago. And I think that uh, that probably means any materially harder language or hawkish language has to wait until Jackson Hole in uh, in August or, or the September FOMC. Great. Um, I, I did want to circle back on inflation. We've talked about it a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And it certainly seems like inflation is the, call it primary, um, uh, fear of the market, uh, yeah, and yes. uh, everybody's uh, obviously concerned about inflation running hot. 
uh, and uh, that this language of transitory inflation um, isn't entirely accurate, and there's there's some there uh, to stay. I, I guess my basic question is, um, you know, is the fear rational, or are markets overreacting a little bit here? Uh, we're we're talking about you know inflation numbers in the fours uh, this year, and we can debate whether all of it's transitory, but certainly some of it has to be transitory with the the base effects and and just considering the distance we've traveled over the past year. You know, are are people too fixated on this, or or is it um, is it reasonable to have this uh, level of detail on inflation? That's a good question. I think um, you know clearly we're not in a hyperinflation environment. We're talking about probably levels of. You know, is it going to be three, four, five, and, you know, and for how long? And then, of course, what measure? Are we looking at headline CPI? Right. Are we looking at core PCE? Uh, are we looking at something else? Um, you know, how, you know, what, what is this? And I think, um, I mean, there's a few ways to, to slice the question. I think, you know, expectations are important. And, um, you know, there are some, some, some in, you know, the, putting on my economics hat for a sec, there's some in kind of the economic school of thought that, you know, low inflation breeds lower inflation and high inflation breeds higher inflation. It's just kind of expectations get built into the cake. And that was a big concern off, you know, the European experiment and the Japanese experiment, right, with mm-hmm. negative rates. Um, and you can kind of see that particularly in Japan with uh, it's very it's been very difficult for Japan to dig themselves out of that. Um, I'll call it low inflation um, hole or, you know, some might say deflationary hole, but you know, definitely a lowflation uh, hole, which has been tough to get out of for for years and years. And of course, the Fed looks at that and other central, every central bank, and uh, looks at that and says, "Wow, like really, do not want that for here. It's you know, it's it's not it's not a great situation." Um, and so that's one of the reasons why I think the Fed wanted to bring in um, this you know, AIT or FAI, FAIT to basically help um, help the market and Main Street. Um, adjust expectations and say, you know, we're, we're okay letting inflation run quote unquote hot for a while because um, they wanted to reset the expectations game. And so kind of here we are in a very interesting crossroads in that, you know, experiment uh, because you had obviously a very challenging year last year. Um, you know, we had prices absolutely, you know, plunge in late Q1, call it March, and then Q2, particularly April and May. Um, and we're kind of, you know, we're going to get the May data for this year on on Thursday this week on the 10th. And, um, you know, we're kind of getting through the base effects. But as you say, how much of it is transitory? How much of it is, how much of it is not? Uh, you have obviously had a very strong commodity price cycle rally. You're hearing a lot around supply chain stories. Um, you know, so how much is there? And there were some interesting things in the last CPI report, for sure, in terms of you know, reopening, um, you know, reopening industries, things like um, uh, used car prices, which were up, I think, a little over ten percent on the on the month, month over right. month. Uh, airline airline tickets, uh, hotels, things like that. I mean, obviously, new car, uh, sorry, used car prices can't go up ten percent per month for I don't know, forever. Definitely not a year. Probably not a year. Um, you know that has to that has to recalibrate, right? And sure. uh, and and the other and the other sides of it, I would say um, as well. So I, it's still early, and this is one of the reasons why I think the Fed is not in a rush to make any huge huge decisions or tweaks here, um, even though they want to even though they want to move the ball at a little bit. 
But I, I don't think that the market should be overly concerned. I think this Fed and most central banks are still very cognizant of their mandates, which they take very seriously. And I think that um, you know this Fed is happy to let inflation run hot for a little bit. But I think that's really kind of two and a half or three percent. And if if this period of high inflation um, and we'll, we'll probably print headline inflation um, around three and a half percent for May year over year when right. when it prints when it prints this week. That's that's consensus consensus. I think it's actually three point four, but call it three and a half. Um, you know, probably with a little upside bias. Um, I think that most of that is probably still considered to be temporary. What I'm looking for, uh, and, and it maybe not maybe a little early to show up here, but. Not necessarily things like airplane tickets and hotels and uh, and used cars. I'm interested to see where uh, where rent inflation is, where owners equivalent rent inflation is, where healthcare uh, inflation is, because those are things that are a little more uh, well, a little less temporary. Let's put it that way, a little more fundamental. And when you see rent uh, increases happening. Um, typically they're around zero point, they've been 0.2, but if they're 0.3 or 0.4 and it's creeping higher and it's happening for two, three, four months, that to me would be the indicator or at least the beginnings of an indicator that uh, some of these higher prices and other more uh, you know, reopening type industries like we just talked about are filtering through to more uh, core, for lack of a better term, although I'm not saying core CPI, but uh, you know, core uh, core costs that people have to incur on a on a monthly or semi-annual or annual basis, and so it's that kind of it's those kind of readings. So if we see things move higher in owners' equivalent rent or rent, you know, the shelter component of CPI, so to speak, that's going to tell you that this might not be as temporary as possible, and that's pro- as 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 it might have been. And I think uh, that's when the Fed starts getting a little bit concerned, and you'll see. I suspect some of the more hawkish members of the committee uh, start to voice their concerns, not necessarily at this meeting, but um, uh, at uh, you know in speeches uh, and and commentary down the road throughout the summer. Um, so I, I think that that's kind of the, those are some of the things to look at. But I don't think the market's overly um, you know I mean the market's clearly concerned about inflation as it should be, but I don't think it's mis you know, it's it's mispricing it uh, yet per se, but I think okay. we are, I think we are a few months away from seeing um, a potential a potential change if if the temporary if the temporary indicators are feeding into the more permanent indicators. Okay, and, and maybe just a follow up. So, and I'm, I guess I'm just getting to like the core of the risk. So, if inflation does become sort of structurally a little bit higher. Uh, with those rents feeding in, um, and uh, and the the prints coming a little higher, um, is the risk here? The Fed is forced to increase interest rates given the amount of debt in the world. That's going to be harder to service, or is it that you know fixed income investors are no longer going to tolerate absolute large negative uh, real returns, or 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 how does that actually translate into you know equity market or fixed income risk? Well, I think from just. Uh, you know, stepping back, a, a, a more aggressive Fed prob- probably on the margin is not great for global risk appetite. So 
things that are slightly higher beta, like, um, you know, like, like equities, um, uh, you know, would, would, would generally be, would generally be, uh, you know, a little more problematic, uh, as well as EM, uh, EMFX, you know, where sure. we spend, spend a, a lot of, a lot of time, um, and, uh, EM, EM local currency and to an extent, hard currency would also debt would also be, uh, you know, potentially a little bit, a little bit vulnerable. Um, the feds obviously, you know, very aware of that and wants to manage that. They do not want to see, uh, an asset price bubble burst, but at the same time, that's not necessarily their, I would say their direct mandate. I would call it a secondary mandate via the sure. financial conditions kind of umbrella. You know, they're trying to they're trying to manage full employment and now essentially max employment by their own by their own doing, and uh, and run inflation hot. You know, a little bit while keeping two uh, percent symmetric. Um, you know, going forward. Um, so I think. Yeah, I, I think that there's a, a fair bit of um, I think there's a fair bit of concern in the market in terms of the Fed the Fed moving early, and that's why I think there is so much focus on the inflation side. Um, it, it seems it seems unlikely. What what seems more likely to me would be that the Fed is going to um, maybe start tweaking its language again, as opposed to um, as opposed to moving rates. Now, if the Fed was concerned, I mean, and, and we've kind of talked about this here and I think you know on the team as well if, if inflation is moving a little bit higher than it should then um, you know the, I, I would not be surprised to see the Fed start um, when it does start um, by doing 50s as opposed to 25s yeah, okay. uh, and I think that I think that'll be you know and that'll, that'll get worked into the market to be fair but I think it's uh, sure. you know we're probably we're probably a little bit a little bit far away from that but from a fixed income perspective, yeah, it, it definitely makes uh, it definitely makes things challenging. I mean, we are expecting a rising rate environment. Uh, there's there's no doubt about it, and uh, you know that's why we spend a lot of time on uh, on EM, particular EM credits, um, you know, uh, corporate credits, um, uh, you know, uh, look at look at various, you know, and we have the opportunity obviously to be long and short. So we look at uh, you know all all those types of opportunities, um, you know, acro- across the portfolio. Um, but it's not necessarily something that would, you know, that would hinder us from uh, from being able to be, uh, you know, decent performers in the fixed income space. Great. Uh, maybe we'll turn our attention to the ECB. I know they're having a meeting on Thursday. Uh, what are you expecting to come out of that uh, ECB meeting? So the ECB's got uh, another a forecast of its own uh, meeting this week, and I think. I think it's important in, in kind of the the setup for the Fed in a way, uh, not that they're uh, not independent of each other, so to speak. Pardon the double negative, but I, you know, I, I think that it, it does it does set up the the, the ECB has been working through its own you know, pandemic program um, and the and the new program, the the PEP, the Pandur- pandemic emergency purchase program PEP, and um, they've been buying at a pretty significant clip uh, for the last few months. When you add their uh, other quantitative easing program, the asset purchase program, uh, together with it, uh, they're buying around 95 or 100 billion uh, euros um, a month, which is obviously uh, very sizable. And the talk this week is: will the um, will the bank dis- uh, taper or not its pandemic emergency purchase program? You know, we've seen the vaccination rates in Europe come up um, very significantly over the last couple of months. 
and you know not dissimilar to to the Fed in the U.S. Um, compared to the last forecast round in March, things are looking quite good. And uh, you know, the the, the vaccine, the rolling seven day vaccination rate on in continental Europe is now you know well ahead of uh, the equivalent in the U.S. And uh, you know, we're seeing a relatively strong reopening, or at least the beginnings of it happening in continental Europe. And I think that uh, you know the ECB has to make a decision here whether they're going to continue to suggest that they're going to provide the same amount of liquidity and accommodation that they said they were going to do at a time when things were not looking as good, or are they going to pull it back a bit? Uh, and it's it's a very difficult call. The market's definitely swung uh, back and forth on it um, at least once, if not if not twice. I think that the the ECB will. Uh, probably amend its language um, in terms of uh, substantial further buying um, and uh, and probably amend that language to suggest that it's not going to be buying as much, although it may not uh, adjust the amount, which kind of sounds a little bit odd. Uh, but I think that's probably the sweet spot of where they need to be. This uh, The reopening is, you know, not unlike other places globally, the reopening in continental Europe is happening quicker than I think many officials expected. And this pandemic emergency purchase program is due to be done by the end of March 2022. And uh, even if they do not, uh, even if the ECB does not adjust the purchase amount at this meeting, and they are supposed to adjust it every quarter. Uh, so if they don't do it this meeting, that means they won't be doing it again in theory until uh, September, which would mean for starting October. That means that there's only uh, six months left of, of the program. Which could right. mean that which could mean that they, um, you know, they 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 really start uh, tapering very very quickly um, in you know in those uh, in those final quarters of the program Q4 21 and Q1 22. So to me, not to not to kind of push it aside, but to me, I think that even if the ECB doesn't do anything overly material, if you're if you're looking at the calendar and understanding, I think how. ECB operates. It, you're basically just backloading what would be happening, um, you know, instead of instead of three quarters, uh, perhaps over over two quarters. And I think the market will relatively quickly adjust to that. Um, okay, it's one of the reasons why we really uh, still like and have um, higher or short European duration higher rates uh, across the portfolio. Uh, and, and that's not just the German benchmark. We have uh, uh, oats, uh, you know, French, French bonds, uh, the Italian. Uh, we like the Italian story as well in terms of uh, the removal, the eventual removal of accommodation. Uh, you know, the, the peripheral story I think might even um, might even uh, underperform on the prices side, outperform on the rate side. So we have that trade not only in our global portfolios but actually across all our portfolios in core, core plus, um, unconstrained, and we think it's. Uh, we think we think it's a we think it's a good trade. So we're you know even though we might see a bit of a wobble here in terms of uh, you know our view and how markets should trade, we think it will uh, come around um, you know rel- relatively quickly after that. And we like we like that story. So the ECB is definitely uh, you know uh, I would say a very live meeting as we say um, this week. Uh, you know as is the Fed uh, as is the Fed next week. One last question before I sure. let you go, Dustin. Sure. Uh, you referenced earlier um, that uh, you thought coming out of the uh, FOMC meeting, you might see a stronger U.S. dollar with uh, some of the language. Um, has that impacted your view on EM debt? Uh, and if so, how? 
It's a great question. Um, I would say we're, we are cautiously uh, optimistic. I think we, we, you know, we still like it. Uh, we still like the EM side uh, quite a bit on the, on the global reflationary trade, which I still believe in. And I think a lot of the other PMs still believe in, you know, a general commodity cycle, uh, constructive cycle, despite uh, prices obviously having come off a little bit here in the last three, four weeks or so, you know, in the China story, uh, you know, imp- uh, impacting that as we talked about last time. Um, mm-hmm. the, 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 the dollar view, I think, is a little bit more tactical. The long dollar, U.S. dollar view is a little bit more tactical where, um, at least for now, I think that um, positioning is a bit stretched and, and positioning is a good way to kind of navigate tactically some of these shorter term ebbs and flows to pick up a little additional alpha. And the market is not right. not massively short U.S. dollars, but it's notably short uh, U.S. dollars. It's definitely been more extreme Um you know, in the last few years, to be fair, but uh, I think I think it's I think it's notably short, um, and I think there's probably a little bit of room here for some some squaring of those short trades. And I also think that, again, while I don't think that the Fed is going to, you know, drop drop a huge uh, surprise uh, next week, I, I do think that just hearing Powell, uh, Chairman Powell, echo the slight change in tone from you know, his two most senior members in a way. Um, I would also say uh, Governor, uh, sorry, Fed President, New York Fed President Williams, who's, you know, very important given all the uh, open market operations run through the New York Fed, um, you know, and, and other key and other key members and listening to their tone. Uh, you know, I just, it's one of those things where I, I just feel that the market will probably validate uh, hearing Powell say it for the first time. And of course, it depends how he says it. Obviously, if he moves the ball a little further uh, than than expected, then there's clearly um, some upside optimism um, for you know for the U.S. dollar near term. But you know, but all the um, all the main factors we like to be short dollars over the medium term. Um, you know, the deficit story, um, uh, the U.S. dollar uh, starting to lose its um, its global reserve currency status a little bit. Um, uh, you know, the global reflationary trade and, you know, we still think that, you know, high beta currencies like Canada, Australia, New Zealand, um, you know, look good here for a while, um, you know, over, over a one or two year period on, on the commodity story. Um, you know, EM looks like it's, it's got a long way to go with, with production needing to be ramped up and, and all those sorts of things. Um, you know, we still, still think that the dollar, the dollar is generally going to be a sell on rallies, but, you know, this is, Part of part of what we do is trying to uh, separate, you know, what do we like from a structural medium term perspective, and what are the trades we want to have on, and then, you know, when has the market maybe fully priced or mostly priced some of those things, and might be slightly overextended or underextended uh, on a on a short term basis, and we try to pick up a little bit of tactical alpha uh, to try and uh, you know go against go against the trend, you know, within the you know the greater structural moves. So this, this, this would be kind of the latter part of that. You know, we still have a, a medium term view that uh, the dollar should be sold on rallies, but uh, it's, it's happened for a decent amount in Q2. And we could see, we could see a little bit of short term tactical pickup here before kind of re-entering short trades again. So that, that's how we, that's how we look at it. And, uh, you know, some of our portfolios are, uh, you know, taking those types of views uh, accordingly. Perfect. Thanks very much, Dustin. I appreciate your comments as always. Great. Thanks very much for having me back. Good to see you.
content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes and McKenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fund facts and prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of returns are historical annual compounded total returns, including changes to unit values and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions and does not take into account sales, redemptions, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns.